Welcome to Love and Loss, a podcast where we talk about the difficulties surrounding pregnancy and infant loss. It's important to know that although we may sometimes host psychologists and other mental health professionals, this show is not a substitute for therapy and or psychological treatment. We encourage all individuals and families experiencing loss to only listen as you are able. The content of the show can occasionally become triggering to those who have lost a child during pregnancy or infancy. If the substance becomes too difficult, we encourage you to turn it off. Josephine at Lurie is a certified life coach and an expert in meditation and mindfulness, helping thousands of people to overcome adversity and find joy. A graduate at the University of Chicago, Josephine followed her passion for total wellness and supports and empowers organizations and individuals. Plus, her experience creating her modern-day family of seven children via in virtual fertilization, international adoption, and surrogacy inspires her work as a highly sought-after fertility, pregnancy, and parenting mindfulness coach. Today we have with us Joe at Lurie. Welcome, Joe. Welcome. I, I mean, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, glad you're here. Um, where are you joining us from? I live in Los Angeles. Ooh, sunny and fancy, huh? <laughs> yes, all of those things. I've been listening to this podcast. I mean, I am a podcaster, but anyways, I've been listening to the podcast where the hosts are in Los Angeles and I feel cool just by listening to them <laughs> in Los Angeles. I feel like I'm cooler of a person. We always start our show with who is your yep, mom's totally. inspiration? Yeah, I love that question. My mom's inspiration is, I'd have to say, uh, Michelle Obama. Ooh, yes. I've gotten this one before. Tell me why um, Michelle Obama is your mom's inspiration. Yeah, I, you know, I went to the University of Chicago and she, um, oh, cool. she actually was at, at the, the same time when she was working in the, um, like community affairs office. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I had like one of my best friends, um, also worked in that office. So I got to see how she kind of prioritized her family, but also was trying to do good things in the background. And that has always that has always been her and she's always been true to that. And, um, no matter how it sort of evolved. And so I really love that authenticity of hers and her priorities for her family. Um, but while also trying to figure out a way to inspire others and do good things. Yeah, she really is fantastic. And she's another lost mom too. Um, which is something a lot of people don't know until you read her book. Yeah. Well, Joe, um, I want to know where does your story start? Yeah, you know, I have quite a long story and it feels like a lifetime ago. My story starts um, almost about 17 years ago when we first started trying IVF. We knew we'd have to go into IVF right away in order to have children. And I naively thought, like many of us uh, other people do, is that I was young and that um, this would be kind of like... Um, uh, just something that would natural would happen. Mm. And it didn't after a couple of years, it was super frustrating. Um, and when it, then we switched facilities. I, I ended up getting pregnant with twins only to lose them. Um, in the second oh, wait, trimester. wait, wait, you lost them in the second trimester. Yes. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh. Do you know what, were they boys or girls? Do you know? A boy and a girl. Really? 
Uh Wow. Okay. So you were, how long were you um, experiencing infertility? And yeah, it was about um, two years that we were doing like back-to-back IVF cycles. And then I switched facilities just to see if it would make a difference. And it did because I did get pregnant, but this time um, they did not stay with us. I mean, I had, you know, chemical pregnancies before that and that topic one and all those other ones, but not one that went so long. Okay. So within this two years, there's actually a lot of trauma. It sounds like. Yes, absolutely. I mean, because you're talking waiting and waiting and waiting for that positive test. And then you get them with chemical pregnancies. Eptopic is incredibly dangerous. Yes. Yeah. I was fortunate that it didn't um, progress further. Wow. Um, I mean, that's, that requires medical intervention for sure. And then talk to me about your twins. Yeah. So, um, the frustrating part is that there was no, there was no reason given for what happened. How old were they? Um, uh, 17 weeks. Wow. Yeah. They were pretty old. Did, um, did you give them names? No, I was so, I was so like shaken. Mm. at that time I just like I felt like I was um not like a zombie but I, I everything was happening around me I, I couldn't right. I couldn't grasp what was happening so much so to like give them names or I just my husband handled everything it feels like maybe that's true as women I don't know like with the whole um child bearing and raising it's like am I really doing this is this really me is this really happening to me am I just a part of this but like you're really the main character in your journey and so it's it's really a surreal experience I think oh yeah it totally was I I felt like I was almost at some points I felt like I was looking in you know Mm. like I was watching all of this happening um to me, you know, it was almost not like an out of body experience, but it really was just like, I was going through the motions and then just sort of felt like I was not in it and just watching this all, all this like horrible thing unfold in front of me. Yeah. Horrible is an understatement, isn't it? Cause there's, oh, no, totally. there, there literally isn't words to describe the gut wrenching feeling of that loss. So, um, how did this, I, I mean, so many, moms lose their children in different ways. And like, what happened with your twins? Yeah. So I, um, what happened was I, I felt, um, it was my water breaking, um, or some gush of fluid. And so I, I called the doctor, they told me to, um, get to the hospital. So I, an ambulance took me to the hospital and, um, you know, they, they couldn't save the babies is what they told me. Mm. And so they were waiting for me to just naturally um, try to deliver them. Yeah. Um, and so like, that was one of, I've had many, but one of the longest nights that I can remember, cause I couldn't sleep. I was just waiting for this to just finally be over. Um, and, and then by the morning they said that they'd have to um, induce me so that I could deliver the babies and, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> um, that was the point when like, then our parents had time to fly in. And, uh, that was a point when my husband decided to 
go quickly change because he thought it would take some time, but that's when um, the contraction started. And uh, so I was with my mother-in-law and I remember, I remember I've written about this. <laughs> I remember um, whispering to her that, that I loved her. But as I thought about that, you know, over and over again, it really was not that I don't love her, but it was me saying that to the babies as yes. I was, um, as I was pushing. Um, wow. Yeah. There's so much yeah. to the story. I think um, an important thing that a lot of people don't realize is that children that small 17 weeks in the second trimester, you go to, you go into labor. Um, right. And I, I, there's this misconception that they're so tiny and they are tiny that it's just this like simple thing and it's so much more. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is lost. Definitely. I feel like when I explain that whole experience, um, we did, my, my parents are very Catholic. And so um, once the babies were born, I was asked if I wanted to name them and I just couldn't, I was mm. in shock. Honestly, I was just like in shock. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, and then they wanted to have um, a funeral for the babies and so we did, and they were just the tiniest little things. Um, yeah. Did you I get remember, to spend some time with them? I did. I don't remember in the hospital if mm. I did, but definitely at the funeral home, I did. Um, but I really just couldn't be there. I, you know, we had the the religious rites, and then after that, I just wanted out. I I went and I got into the car and. Um, I still remember the drive home it was really sunny, but super cold. Um, that's profound. Yeah. 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 I, I think a lot of lost moms listening to this can relate. It was sunny, but felt cold. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't cold. It was the summertime, but yeah. that, that resonates with me for sure. Mm. Oh my yeah. gosh. No, it was a blur for like, it was dark. I remember um, for the next few months is that it was again, still just going through the motions and still looking in, not really being there um, and just being in my room completely mm. dark. I kept it dark um, being like that for the longest time. Yeah. There's this, you said, you said looking in um, and there's this time when you're fresh in your grief where it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that this is actually happening. Um, and you said you kept the room dark. Um, what was the meaning behind that? I think I just didn't want to see anything. I just wanted to be almost like I couldn't sleep the whole time. I just yeah. wanted to sleep. Yeah. Um, and so this was mimicking that sleep. And then the worst part was because I delivered them. I started to lactate. Oh like that my was gosh. The worst ever, ever. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I just wanted to forget. And then I had this physical reminder of it. And it was like, so cruel. It is. It is. And that's, see, that's another thing at 17 weeks, your body, you're in a postpartum period, right? Like it's not just an event that happened. Like you're a mom and you've delivered children and they might not be living. Um, but you're, body doesn't know that almost like your physical body is still functioning. Like it needs to feed them. And, um, it's truly a tragedy. Mm -hmm. 
that, that continued reminder. Um, I'm, I'm really drawn into the idea that you kept the room dark. And I, I, I remember sitting in my living room and we had a big window and sliding glass doors. And, um, so it was really light, but I, I felt dark. Like I felt super dark during that time and my loss. And so I, I understand the, the reasoning why you want to keep it dark. Cause maybe it felt more comfortable, like to make your surroundings feel like you feel inside. Mm, right. Exactly. Hence this, the wanting to sleep was just, um, but then also not wanting to face reality and so oh, yeah. not seeing, seeing things, um, by keeping it dark assisted in that desire. Right. Right. And wanting to sleep, um, seems completely reasonable because you're kind of hoping that you'll wake up and time will have passed and you'll feel better. Yeah. And- or, or that maybe this is all a terrible dream. I'll wake up and yeah, everything will be fine. Um, yeah. Well, cause they, people lie to us. Right. And they say that time heals and, <laughs> um, time passes and I, the, but the wounds are still there. Um, we have to do a lot of work to heal. So yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're hoping to go to sleep and wake up and it's a dream or wake up and you feel better, it's just, it's so hard because our bodies have just been so traumatized by these losses. Yes, absolutely. Wow. It was very traumatic. Um, so yeah. And, and, you know, often I, um, when I wrote my first piece about, about this experience, what I talked about was that no matter how much I wanted the room to be dark, um, there would always be some light, like during the day, daytime, there always, I could get it so dark because we had blackout shades and everything and everything like the furniture was dark. And so it was conducive to that, but there would always be like a little bit of light shining through that would mm. irritate me because I just wanted it to be dark. And, um, and even when my eyes were closed and I was lying in bed, I could still see that brightness and it yeah. bothered me so much. Like I tried to cover it up with pillows and like I taped it. I was like crazy about this light that was coming in. And, and then over time, that light was this reminder to me that there was still life happening. Yeah. Um, I could choose to ignore it and just be where I was. Or at some point I could just allow that light to come in and, and, begin again um, mm. and return back to to life um, and so that's you know that's kind of how I describe it is that and also with my like mindfulness coaching and meditation stuff uh, that there there will always be like a period of, of darkness in our lives you know whatever whatever it is well um, there will be various moments of darkness in our life um, but there will always be not necessarily actual light, but there always be this like little thing that can mm. come into us. And that's that, um, that ab- ability that allows us to, to hope to like get back to trying, you know, to get back into the quote unquote real life and um, to try again. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we all have that and just, manifests and, and unfolds for us in different ways. Um, but always knowing that and always maybe 
being on the lookout when you feel ready to reach out to that light. Yeah. I'm really inspired by this. Um, especially because you said there was this little light that you, you had to make this decision to cling on to. Um, and I think those of us who have been in that dark place know how small that light is that we're clinging to. Um, and it sounds like faith kind of played a role in this. You spoke to your mindfulness practices. Can you say more to that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and I, I am spiritual. I believe in the God and things. And I did have many conversations and a lot of anger and stuff to Ooh, my yes. situation and to um, the God that I believed in. And um, I had to go through those motions. Uh, but it wasn't until much later that I found mindfulness. I wish I had it. You know, yeah. I wish I had those tools for myself um, back then. But really what I had was um, at some point when you're going through infertility, what's heavy, it's, it's, you're, there's heaviness weighing on you. Right. Right. And it can be the heaviness and the, of the burden of like, of all this failure of all the procedures that aren't working. It can Hmm. also be heaviness from this burden of hope. Hope is heavy, right. Hope can be so heavy when you, when you're tired. Right. And, um, what I remember going through that grief process was that I was um, at, at, at some point it just became so heavy to be so sad. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've been asked many times, like, how do you get out of it? And how do you advise people to get out of it? Well, I am. And with, you know, mindfulness, um, you know, there's like toxic positivity that's being thrown around. I always tell people to allow themselves to have the time to really feel their feelings. And no matter Amen, how girl. scary they are, it's going to be scary, right? Mm. To, to own your truth, to be authentic to yourself, um, but to give yourself that time. And so I don't think, I think I, I felt like I gave myself enough time to grieve the, the babies. I just don't think I gave myself enough time to grieve the whole process of trying to conceive, which I now refer to as trying to conceive trauma. I didn't know that I was going through. Whoa, wait, trauma. pause. Trying to conceive trauma. Yeah, that's what wow. I described, written about that. I didn't yeah. realize that I had that. I thought my trauma was from their loss, which of course it was. Yeah. But I didn't acknowledge at the time that I was experiencing trauma from like all these failed pregnancies and all these failed cycles. And, right. um, it, you know, after years of therapy later on, it finally hit me like, oh, this is what, this is what I'm dealing with right now. This is why this manifested, you know, like fast forward, I ended up having an eating disorder just mm. pop up in my thirties after I had kids. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And it really stemmed back from this, um, the fact that I didn't give myself to to heal and to feel these emotions from trying to conceive because it's constantly on the go, constantly racing against the clock to try and um, to get pregnant while I had young eggs. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like I'm bouncing around everywhere, but, uh, but yeah, so the heaviness of like, there's a point where I decided that the heaviness I was feeling from the sadness was just too much for me to bear. And that instead I was willing to um, navigate the heaviness of hope instead. 
because it, oh. it felt like it would be a little bit lighter for me going back to your question of like, um, or what I was saying about how, um, how I got out of that moment of grief and decided to, and we decided to pivot to international adoption because um, holding oh. hope felt lighter than that sadness. That's beautiful. So tell me how your story continues with, with adoption. Yeah. So, I mean, we always had it in the back of our mind because we knew we'd have to uh, pursue alternative methods for um, creating our family. And so, you know, that was always in our back pocket, like, okay, if this for some reason doesn't work, IVF, then we'll adopt. And um, we had been looking as well at the, I think at the same time, just to, just to cover all our bases. And so once the babies, once we lost them, it was like, okay, this is, if I'm really being honest with myself, I, like I said, I didn't take the time to just sit, mm. like hit the pause button as I call it, and just look within and be honest about what I could handle. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like this grief process was something that I needed because it finally gave me time to just sit and like question our decisions, question myself, like, do I have the mental and emotional capacity to keep doing this? like hop into another cycle and the answer was it was painful to to realize and to to be like honest about it to my husband was that no I couldn't I was exhausted I couldn't do this again I was scared to try again and and the truth is that wasn't the only way to become a parent and that I you know there are so many children who needed parents so let's go this other route because I just can't do this again. And so that was another revelation that I really pondered um, about many years later. It's like, that's how I was, that's how we came about this, this decision, this pivot, because I actually took the time to be introspective, to like reflect and to like be honest with myself. And if I hadn't, if I had just, continued on with the way I was going before, we would have hopped into another cycle, even though I wasn't physically, mentally, emotionally ready. Yeah. So you, it sounds like this time of darkness. And then when you pivoted to hope, you also had to pivot to other ways of other ways of hoping even, um, just like a mind, um, a shift in your thinking and your shift in, like you said, and understanding of how you were going to become a parent. Right. Wow. Uh, so tell us about your children now. Yeah. So after a year, we chose a program that was quite quick in comparison to others. We, um, adopted our son, our very first son from Kazakhstan and, um, yeah. And then suddenly that heaviness was finally lifted off of us and we're so happy to finally create our family and, and, um, be parents to this beautiful little boy. And because of that, because of that, um, that renewed hope and the joy that we were experiencing, um, I thought to myself that, you know what, it's been some time. So I feel like we can just give this one more try. We'll Mm. switch facilities and we'll do our research. We'll find a place that has like the best outcomes that we can find and go through them, even if it's across the country, which is what we did. And one more time. And if yeah. it doesn't work, then that's that. And okay. we'll be okay with it. 
And that's what we did. And I became pregnant with twins and I was terrified the whole time um, because of the prior loss. Uh, so it was not the pregnancy I had hoped for. Yeah. I had dreamed out my whole life. It wasn't that joyous experience. Uh, but at the end, I, I did um, give birth to another um, set of boy-girl twins. So uh, that's uh, how they came to be, my first set of twins, because I had three sets. And then through that process, we had many embryos that um, we were able to freeze. But after just all of those years of that trauma and that pregnancy that was not at all easy, um, I just couldn't bear the thought of being pregnant again. And right. so we kept the, the embryos frozen for some time, but like working so hard for them and just not um, giving them a chance was, was heartbreaking every year when we'd get a reminder letter. And so about um, six years, five years, uh, five, six years later, we uh, were able to pursue surrogacy and in that same vein pivoted to another idea of how families come together and uh, we partnered with an agency and an amazing surrogate, and she uh, delivered us boy twins for us. And then uh, we had a couple of remaining embryos, and five years later, so uh, last year, our twin girls, through another surrogate, um, were born, and they were our very last embryos that we had. And so that's how we came to have seven kiddos. You are super mom. Holy mother of God. So, <laughs> okay. So two years of waiting and loss, including chemical pregnancies, ectopic, then twins die at 17 weeks. Then you adopt a little boy from Kazakhstan. And then you go on to have three sets of living twins. Correct. Yes. This is amazing. Why it was a wild ride. It feels like oh, yeah. Well, you're when the I mom talk of, about it, it feels like like a yeah. lifetime ago. <laughs> well, to be the mom of three sets of living twins is absolutely. I think. I mean, I have one living child right now, and I haven't showered in, in forty eight hours. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I just am in awe. I'm in awe, yeah. but also the various ways that you've. Um, come to be a parent to these different children is so cool. Like you have literally done every method of parenting. You're a lost mom. You're an IVF mom. You're a um, miscarriage mom. You're a surrogate mom. You're an adoptive mom. Um, you can kind of speak to all of these pieces. So yeah. uh, tell us, um, you guys, might know from our Instagram post, but Joe uh, is an author. So tell us about your writings. Yeah. So many years later, I, like I mentioned before, I wish I had the tools of mindfulness and meditation at the very beginning when we were starting to try to conceive, but I didn't. I had my coping me mechanism was exercise, but unfortunately at certain parts of my journey, I just wasn't allowed to right yeah. with IVF. And then right after the the twins died, I, I just couldn't. And so that was really frustrating. And um, when my second set of twins came about and I was working, I could feel the swirl of chaos just enveloping me and like I was getting pulled into it. And there was an aha moment where I was playing with them, but I was 
also working on my phone. And at the end of the day, I was reflecting back. I couldn't remember what I did with them. And I thought, this is nuts. You know, I'm not, I may be physically with them, uh, but I'm not really with them because my mm-hmm. mentally I was not there. And so that for me was the moment where I decided, you know what, I can do, I need to do better for myself, for them. And there's something missing here. And that's when I found uh, my mindfulness meditation. And it was hard for me um, because like many others, I didn't think I could sit still. I had a million thoughts, um, but, you know, I went on to love it and then I got certified and, and through there, I, um, I started to write articles about, about mindfulness meditation, how it relates to infertility and how it relates to um, being a mom of multiples and many children. And because I was getting asked so many questions, I decided, you know, I'm just going to write a book about mindfulness It's called Mindfulness Journal for Parents, where it's really like a very active journal for you to use um, first about yourself and like reflecting and all that kind of stuff and being aware and tuning into your awareness and then progressing into like how you can take this to apply it with your children together and doing it together. But then after I released that book last year, I thought, you know what, um, in that vein of like, like instead of using mindfulness meditation as a bandaid, like in the heart of it, what if we, what if people learned it beforehand? Right. Um, so I started doing infertility mindfulness because I thought, you know what, I really wish I had these tools back then. So I have an online course for that. But, um, and then I thought, okay, well, once they're pregnant, what a great time for people to, almost like preventive care, like do this and practice it before you get caught in the swirl of chaos of being a parent to a little one, mm. you know, because I myself, like, even though I've done this multiple times last year, when the, the girls were born, I, my my dedicated practice was thrown out the window because of like constant feedings and no sleep. And so, but, but the thing is I knew how to weave it into my day in a completely different way. And Mm -hmm. that might be because of my training and my teaching, but it's also because like I had practiced it before. And so trying to add something new into a routine where your life has like completely turned upside down is kind of difficult, right? And so if you can do these tools and learn them during your pregnancy while it's also benefiting you and your pregnancy and your baby in utero, then that would be the ideal situation. And so that's why Definitely. I wrote my latest book, um, Five Minute Mindfulness for Pregnancy. That would have been so helpful. <laughs> for me too. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I think it would be helpful because especially um, my pregnancy that I lost was my first pregnancy. And so, like you said, with the pregnancy, following your twins or following the loss of the twins at 17 weeks, um, it it was not what you expected and and not what you would have wanted in in this fairy tale dream of being pregnant. And my midwife, I I went into the first appointment sobbing Mm -hmm. and yeah. And um, my midwife said, this is so not fair for you. This should be a beautiful journey. And you've been robbed of that joy. Yeah. Um, and I, th- yeah, I think yeah. a lot of lost moms feel that way 
uh, with our subsequent pregnancies. And I think your mindfulness book would just be so helpful. So, uh, where can we get a copy? (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, you can get a copy on Amazon. Um, and then in the fall, I'm releasing an online companion course, much like I did with the uh, parenting mindfulness, um, journal for parents. So that if you feel intimidated about trying mindfulness meditation for the first time, then there are many videos um, in the course where um, I'll direct you on how to do it. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming to do it. Um, But yeah, but right now you can find it on Amazon. And this is my way of really uh, to refer back to what you were saying is that I, I definitely kept uh, lost moms, women who are going through infertility, have that in their past, have that trauma in their past in mind when I wrote every single exercise in this book. And I even mm-hmm. wrote certain like sort of sidebars for women who have gone through loss, gone through infertility and acknowledging that you may be coming into this book with so much pain, um, so much baggage, so much history and knowing that these exercises and um, that will meet you where you are and that they can support you in whatever you are going through um, because I wanted it to be inclusive of everyone's story. Everyone comes into parenthood in such different ways. We do. And I think you know this better than anyone, <laughs> right? <laughs> Since your way, you've had so many different avenues into parenthood. Um, yeah, so definitely wanted to be inclusive and know that people are seen and heard, um, in those pages. It's so important. So, uh, Joe, we always wrap up every episode. Um, and I asked my guest, is there a generic or a cliche phrase that just really bugs you? Oh, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I, (laughs) I was thinking about that and, um, um, there's so many, yes. I mean, there are many, <laughs> um, I, instead of a phrase, I, what, the, what I don't like is the word, um, just or should. Mm. Yes. Uh, cause that happens a lot with that happens so much during my infertility years. Mm. And then, and then again, when I was grieving the loss of my twins and later on grieving the loss of my mom and stuff people just throw that around that word, those words around as if it's so easy for us to do, like as if we didn't realize that those were the steps that we needed to take. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I should just do that. Why did I think about it? Right. Right. Turn on the lights, get out of the dark room. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Great idea. So that for me (laughs) would be those two words. Yeah. I, I agree. That's, that's good stuff. Um, well, friends, I am so grateful that Joe was here with us. I know you can agree. So Joe, thank you so much for sharing your family with us, uh, for sharing your wisdom and knowledge. And I hope, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm really into this journaling thing and mindfulness. So, um, I hope you listeners will check out her information on Amazon. And, um, if you look at, the information in the podcast info, you'll find um, more about Joe and where to access her mindless courses. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of the love and loss podcast. 
If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. As always, be sure to rate us on Apple and Spotify.